Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Jack Hooker is not only a successful pastor and evangelist, but he has a special gift at relating to young people. This sermon was preached in 1995 at the Fall Revival at God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati, Ohio. He titles this excellent message, The Lukewarm Christian. I know you're going to enjoy this timeless message. what I expect. You. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. Good morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning and after a good night of rest and everybody has been so kind. Dr. Powell, Dr. Eckert took me out last night for supper after the service and uh, a nice room and I'll tell you, it's heaven when you have a Diet Pepsi machine right outside your room. You can wake up in the middle of the night and drink Diet Pepsi. Isn't that great? I looked out last night and wanted to see what kind of view I had, and I didn't really realize, I guess, that the old dining hall still stands. And I looked at that building, and a lot of memories started to come back into my mind. Memories of fried fat, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. Macaroni and Elmer's glue sauce. We had some great meals back then. We really did. <laughs> Salmon cakes. That was probably the highlight. You see, we had street hockey pucks before they even knew what street hockey was. <laughs> of course, the meals are a lot better now, right? Amen. But uh, we had some great times. That, uh, one of my favorites for breakfast was the scrambled eggs and cream sauce. The uh, pancake sponges, you could pour about a quart of syrup before it ever started to run on the side of your plate. We had some great meals. <laughs> but then I got to thinking romantically, even though it was macaroni and cheese or something like that, every Tuesday night. Think of this now. You had to go all week acting like you didn't even know she existed, but every Tuesday night you could walk her into that dining hall and sit down over a plate of macaroni. Look her in the eye for an hour. Wow, what a great time. All, all that happened in that dining hall. But I remember, I remember, I don't know if it happens anymore, but it happened quite frequently. We'd be eating supper and somebody just stand to their feet and praise the Lord and somebody else would stand and we'd have a testimony meeting and sometimes people get blessed and shout and praise the Lord and had some great times. We're always worried about falling through the floor, but... We made it. Memories. It's great. 
I appreciate uh, meeting some of you. I'd like to meet every one of you personally. I appreciate those of you that came up and already let me know, well, you went to school with my dad, or, uh, or I'm, I go to this church where you were at one time in revival or whatever. And I appreciate Donna coming around and Mark, and of course, Rose from my church, and R.G. and jo Jonathan, my nephews. And, and uh, I'd like to know who you are. Now, help me by telling me your name when you see me, and you probably have to do that more than once. But I'd like to know where you're from and who you are. Also, I told President Avery, I, I don't want to just come and stay in my room, as nice as it is. I'm uh, looking forward to touring the campus. I've already already had the, the privilege to be in some offices today and talk to people. And, and I want to talk to you. And if there's anything you feel like you'd like to talk to me about, maybe uh, some of you guys would like to say, what is it really like to be a pastor? Uh, or uh, somebody, maybe you have a spiritual problem you'd like to talk over. I want to be totally available and uh, be just glad to sit down somewhere and, and just get to know you. Amen. I want to read one verse of scripture. We all know what John 3.16 says, but I want us to read Revelation 3.16 this morning. I uh, had a hard time getting to sleep last night and it really wasn't the room or uh, the, the noise of the city or anything like that or uh, girls getting diet Pepsis in the middle of the night or anything like that. But uh, really, I would just wake up and I, this isn't a message that I would normally preach, especially in a day service and, and really to young people. But over and over in my mind when I'd wake up, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, I just, this message kept re-preaching itself until I just was absolutely sure in fact, I couldn't find it at first, and I thought, Lord, I know I brought it with me because I know you wouldn't have impressed me in the night to preach this if it wasn't in my briefcase somewhere. So I want you, I want you to just listen as we preach maybe a little different line of truth than we would normally preach at this moment. Revelation chapter 3, 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I want us to look at one word. It's the only place it's found in the New Testament, and that word is lukewarm. Father, thank you for the good night of rest. Thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for the young people that sit before us this morning. Thank you for your clear direction and your help already today. And we pray the Holy Spirit will, as we preached last night, speak to us from the word Anoint it to our hearts, and we'll praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does it mean to be lukewarm? Jesus says in this letter, in this letter to, to this particular church, he said, he said, I would that, you rather, that you'd be cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. I used to go to church with my grandparents. They went to one of the largest churches of that particular denomination in Indianapolis, Indiana. It was not a holiness church. You went, they gave you a program, they told you when to stand up and sit down. They, uh, the, the organ, the pipe organ uh, was uh, sort of ruled the service as far as uh, the singing and so forth. And there were, uh, it was just a very formal sense of worship. But I, as I sat there as a boy growing up in a holiness church and then attending a church that was so foreign in their manner of worship to mine, I thought, these people don't know any better. They, they've never heard anybody shout. They've never, never had anybody stand up and spontaneously testify. They've never sensed the presence of God like I have to sort of flow into a service. It's cold. 
they're, they're suffering from spiritual hypothermia. It's just, it's just they don't know the fire of, of the Holy Ghost presence. But, but they don't know any better. That's all a lot of those people ever knew. On the other hand, I grew up in a little church where I suppose 25 was a rally day. I mean, I mean, if we'd had 25 or 30 people, we'd have thought it was the best day we ever had. But in that little holiness church, God would come and God would move and he would bless the saints and they'd get blessed and we'd have wonderful services and, and pray around the altar. And those saints held my feet to the fire and a number of young people have come out of that little church to be in full-time Christian service. I knew what it was to see people on fire for God. People with a hot heart, a hot testimony, and a, and a hot life. On the other hand, you don't have to do anything to be lukewarm. My wife uh, suffers from one malady that I've never been able to change, and that is this. She loves coffee. Now, I can't understand how anybody can drink coffee. I mean, I just can't understand why you would even do it. But she loves it, and one of her morning rituals is to get up early and to go and to put a cup of hot water in the microwave and heat some coffee and, and proceed to sit in a chair and have her Bible reading and prayer time. She's, it seems like that, that she's just got to have that cup of coffee. Well, both my wife and I are now over 40. And when you get over 40 kids, some very serious changes happen in your life. And one is you get very forgetful. I mean, I'll go to the refrigerator and open the door and can't remember why I went. Now, don't worry. I just take a guess. At that point, I think, well, I don't know why I went, but I'm just going to go for whatever looks good at the particular time. I'll go in a room and not know why I went in there. It's weird. I mean, it's awful. I mean, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mean to do something and I just forget it. Well, different times when my wife's already gone to work, I'll open the microwave and there's her coffee. And I think, honey, you forgot it again. How could you forget? You punched the numbers, you put it in there and just walked away. Now, by the time I find that coffee, it's not hot anymore. And it's really not cold, but it's lukewarm. Nothing had to be done. Nothing, nothing had to be changed. It just simply lost heat on its own. Now, before we had the nice faucets like are in my room over here where it's sort of one handle like a gear shift where you can just, you can just move it anywhere you want, faucets had two handles, a hot or a cold. And if you wanted to make something lukewarm, you'd turn on the hot and let it flow for a while and then turn on the cold until you could get it just right there in the middle where you could hold your hand under it and it doesn't hurt you because it's too cold and it doesn't burn you because it's too hot. It simply is lukewarm. Now, from my perspective as a pastor, looking upon the movement that I identify with, and that's a conservative homeless movement, we are suffering from a malady of lukewarmness, cooling off, being less than God wants us to be. But I understand this morning, that's not just a malady of older folk. That's a malady that is, will come as natural as breathing to each of us if, we don't, if we're not continually staying obedient to the Lord and keeping our, hots, our hearts hot. I want to give you this morning five evidences of a lukewarm life. Now, I'm sure there are many more, but let me just give you five. The first evidence of a lukewarm life is this, having a past experience, but without a present blessing. 
I want you to think with me a minute. Now, I thank the Lord for everything that's happened in my past that God is, you see, God intervened in my life when I was four years old. My mother was a graduate from Purdue University, my father as well. They were high up in society. They belonged to the, to the things in the community, you know, that you're supposed to belong to. They had brains and they had gifts and they had good jobs. But my mother didn't know the first thing about becoming a Christian, not the first thing. But God, the Holy Ghost, started to work on us. We lived about a half a block from a Christian Missionary Alliance church. And one day my mother got under such conviction that she took my sister and I and walked us up the side of the street, crossed the street, and went down into that church that wasn't even a church really. They just made the basement of that church. They didn't even build the top yet. I mean, it wasn't any place you'd want to go. But my mother felt led there. As, as God was moving, the evangelist and the pastor were having a prayer meeting in the basement of that church at that particular time. The pastor babysat my sister and I. My mother bowed her knee and prayed a little sinner's prayer. She didn't even know how to pray, didn't know what to say, but Jesus Christ saved her that morning. And God came into our home. Hallelujah. We didn't know anything about Jesus. I wouldn't have known the first thing about getting saved, but as a little boy, I watched my mother and I knew something was different. And so one day I asked her, I said, Mom, I said, could I have Jesus in my heart like you do? My mother said later, I didn't know whether a child could get saved or not. She said, I didn't know whether, whether I didn't know what to do, but she said, but I remember, I remember clearly in that little white house on that street in Richmond, Indiana, going back into my bedroom where I had a little maple twin bed and getting down on my knees. And my mother said, the only thing I knew to do was to tell you to say the same things I did down there at that church. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And he did. Hallelujah. When I was in ninth grade, I won the award in high school for the best career paper. Don't tell anybody, but they actually had me on television. I gave my career paper to tell what I was going to do in my career, and my career was going to be a doctor. I had my life all planned out, and my family had my life all planned out. But somewhere when, between the time I won the award in that high school for the best career paper and the end of that year, God said, I have something far greater for you to do than to be a doctor. I want you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'd never been to God's Bible school. Had no idea where, I'd been to Cincinnati, Ohio when I was a little boy. Had no idea where God's Bible school was. I lived 30 miles from Hope Sound Bible College. And that's, would it seem like logistically where I should go to school? But God started to speak to me about God's Bible school. All I knew what God's Bible school looked like was the pictures in the catalog. And I don't know who took those pictures, but they weren't anything like when I got here. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first weekend I was here, I went down here to the, uh, to the intersection of Auburn and Dorchester, and somebody said, now, one thing you're going to learn as a student here, never stop at that intersection if you value your life. And I said, where in the world am I? I'd never been here at all. 
Didn't know, never been to VIP day. Never heard, never heard one time a group from God's Bible school representing the school. Never talked to anybody that was here that was a student or, or talked to anybody that was a teacher. But God was dealing with my life. And he said, that's where I want you to go. And I never doubted one moment that this is where I should be. And now after 21 years of pastoring, God has just intervened in my life over and over. But let, listen, listen to me this morning. If I don't stand before you this morning with a heart that's right with God and on fire from with God and have a present up-to-date victory that God met with me in my room over there in the dormitory this morning then I'm lukewarm. I can have, listen, I pastor people that I can tell you nearly verbatim what their testimony is going to be like on a Wednesday night. I have heard it over and over and over again. The problem is they never tell me what God has done today or yesterday or that week. You never hear a testimony about what God is doing in their life. It's always what God did for me, what he did for me. But listen, young people, we must have more than what God did for us. We must have the fire of God burning in our heart right now because we can't go back. The past is wonderful and it's a blessing, but you must mix a hot past with a cold present and you have lukewarmness. Another evidence of lukewarmness is having a sincere testimony, but without the sounds of joy. Sincerity is a wonderful thing. I mean, it's wonderful to be sincere, but I found out there are a lot of people that are sincere, but they're wrong. I used to take my car to a particular mechanic, and one day I went, and the place was closed up, and I thought, wonder where, wonder where he is, and later I asked, and I said, oh, we were down at the Bayfront Auditorium in downtown St. Petersburg. There we were listening to a great prophet. His, man, his name was Garner Ted Armstrong. And so they kept the Old Testament feast days. They'd close their shop whenever they'd meet together to hear that prophet speak. He was absolutely, sincerely convinced that following Mr. Armstrong was, was right and would get him to heaven. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And I listen to people on a weekly basis that are sincere but they get up and testify and their life is, is clouded with sadness. I mean, they get up and say, oh, this is such a hard way. and This is such a difficult way. And, 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 th and their whole tenor of their life is sadness. I remember being in school here and always asking somebody how they were. And this one particular person would always say, fair. I mean, never it was good, never it was bad. But when I'd ask him, how you doing? He'd say, fair. I got so sick of hearing him say fair. It, isn't there any time when you're doing great? Isn't there any time when things are good? It's always fair. Well, listen, if the grace of God does anything for us, it gives us joy. It gives us real joy. That doesn't mean we're always happy about the way things are turning out. That doesn't mean everything's going right. But that means down deep in our heart, there is a well of real joy in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, we're losing that. We're losing the joy. And so this morning, if you're sincere about following the Lord, but there's something missing in your heart, and that is real joy. That could be lukewarmness. 
Lukewarmness is having a legal life without a loving heart. Now you'll get to know me well enough during this revival to know that I have identified on purpose with the conservative holiness way. I make no apologies for it. Not only that, I feel like that we have biblical, strong biblical principles as to why we dress like we do and live like we do and conduct our life like we do. Recently, I was in uh, Binghamton camp in Binghamton, New York, and we had, a, we had a time with the young people, and there were a lot of older folks there where I just, and uh, basically, uh, uh, this I'm not the only one that does this. I know the president, Brother Avery, has done this on different occasions where I just opened it up for questions. You can ask me anything you want about something in the Word of God. You young people deserve answers. Some of those questions were difficult, but, but I'm, glad, I'm glad that they felt that somebody could be honest with them. And I believe, I'm totally convinced that the lifestyle and the manner in which we live and the standards and principles that God's Bible school has held throughout the years is absolutely not only helpful to us, but absolutely biblical. But there is little more unattractive than to see somebody dressed right and living right without love. I don't know anything that turns me off anymore than to see something, somebody contending for the external faith without the internal love that surely holiness brings to our heart. We live in a day when there's very little love among each other, among each other. When I took my first pastorate, there was a family in that pastorate that uh, just, I mean, they couldn't do uh, enough for us. They had us over to eat. They, they, they lauded us with gifts, just anything and everything they could do. They just made us feel welcome. And when I went to their house, they would start to tell me about this pastor and that pastor and the other pastor they'd had. And come to find out every pastor they'd ever had were scoundrels. I mean, they'd had some terrible pastors, but they said, Brother Hooker, we're so glad you're here. Oh, you're different. And I, it was just my first pastor, and I got rather the big head, and I thought, my goodness, I'm glad I'm here. But it dawned on me one day, and I believe it was the Lord. If you remember, write this down somewhere. If you're with somebody and they're talking about everybody else, when you're not with them, guess who they're talking about? Is you. And it wasn't a few months till I joined the list of all those scoundrels that had been pastors before me. <laughs> Listen. This is, a, this is sort of a closed-in situation here. We don't have miles of campus. We're living, you know, with each other, the fellas all up in the dorm, the girls in the dorm. This becomes a real family, but families also have squabbles and disagreements. And everybody isn't going to do just like you want them to do. In fact, not just your fellow classmates, but the president isn't always going to do what you want him to do. No, he's not. I mean, he doesn't always do what I want him to do, so he's not going to do what you want him to do. Uh, your teachers aren't always going to do what you want them to do. 
But I tell you, listen, we owe each other this. We owe each other love. And if I really love you and you really love me, then I'm going to be careful what I say about you. Do you know that? And it's going to take love just to get along in this type of situation. Do you know that? And if you really love somebody, you're willing to put up with a lot more. Amen? You can amen me. See, even though you, you can do that. We see lukewarmness when people don't have love for their church. Now, there may be a better Bible school somewhere, but I don't think there is. I'm rather prejudiced. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. When I, there were a lot of imperfections when I was here as a student. But there was one thing for sure. When I left the campus of God's Bible School, nobody knew it. I think in my local church in Gratz, Pennsylvania, as pastor, I can see our warts and our bumps and our pimples and our, our problems as keenly as anybody can. But when I go into that little community and the surrounding little communities, I pastor the greatest church in the world. Love, real love. That love for each other and that love for the work of God then translated into the love for the lost. And we start to love the sinner and love the person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, I believe you can live just exactly how God wants you to live externally and still have a heart of love toward people that don't have the light and the background and the privileges and advantages you do. But you mix a legal life but absent of love and you've got lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is untiring ambition but without unfailing service to God. What do you mean by that, Brother Hooker? I like to see people that work. Don't you like to see hardworking men, ladies, I mean, uh, you fellas have a, a work assignment. Hey, that's my assignment. If I have to clean the bathroom, it's going to be the cleanest bathroom on the campus. If I have to wash dishes, even if I don't get 20 GBS bucks, I'm going to make sure every dish is clean. Don't you like that? Well, that's not going over very well. What am I preaching here this morning? <laughs> T.W. Commodore used to give prophecy lectures here at God's Bible School. I had him for a revival meeting one time, and I was painting a shelf for my, for my study, and the shelf, Brother Aver, was only about that far from the bottom of the, of the floor. And I was painting, and T.W. Commodore came by, and he says, you gonna paint, you gonna paint the bottom side of that board? I said, don't think so, Brother Commodore. It's only about that far from the floor. He said, son, let me tell you something. Point that crooked finger. He said, now, son, let me tell you something. If you shine the front of your shoes, shine the back of your shoes. If you paint the top of the board, paint the bottom of the board. I said, yes, sir, I certainly will. <laughs> what are you saying? I like to see people work hard, don't you? Hey, I like to go into homes when I'm visiting and, and the, the lady of the house, you know, likes to clean. I, hey, listen, I go in homes... I go in homes, it's absolutely unreal. I was in a home not too long ago. There wasn't a place to sit. I mean, there wasn't one place to sit down. I mean, it was so dirty and filthy. I, never, I like to be in homes where the lady, don't you like to go in dorm rooms, those of you that are uh, uh, deans, and don't you like to go where the girls, you know, clean up just a little bit? 
I like to see people who take pride in their work. But here's what bothers me. Here's somebody that uh, is works real hard for their job when they get a paycheck. They work real hard at home, but they don't want to do anything for the Lord. We have a bus ministry. I need a bus captain right now. Out of the over 200 and some people in my church, I can't find a bus captain. They're good people. We'll find one. But it's a hard job to fill because you have to call every Saturday. You have to knock on doors. You have to get up real early in the morning, get on a bus. and Not everybody wants to do that. I came to God's Bible school from a church I told you that ran about 15 or 20. I started going to a church in Kentucky, which still operates at this particular time, and ran over 100. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, they actually had special singing when I didn't have to do the singing. They actually had ushers when I didn't have to take the offering. They had all kinds of graded Sunday school classes. It was great, man. I tell you what, for the first few weeks, I was in heaven. I thought, man, I get to go to this great big church. One Sunday night, a girl here at school said, Jack, would you come down to Elm Street? We have a little mission down there. I'd like you to just tell a story. I said, sure, I've done that all my life. Did that growing up. Love to tell, tell stories to children. So I said, sure, I will. Drove my car, parked down at Elm, Elm and uh, Liberty, where Elm Street Mission is. Told my little story. And God spoke to me and said, son, I don't want you to just sit and enjoy yourself. I want you to be at work. And two or three of the greatest years of my life was taking my car into the projects and filling it up with kids and bringing those kids back and filling it up again. I've held kids with lice, never did get lice. I had some nice clothes back then, but it didn't bother me to hold a little child in my arms that was, you know, didn't have a Kleenex or anything else. I was enjoying every last minute of it. Now that isn't to say that you might have a place to, to fill in a local church. I hope the local pastors will forgive me. But that's saying, listen, young people, you haven't come just to prepare. You've come to God's Bible school to work. And there's something for you to do. And you'll find yourself as you're pouring yourself into something, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class or a nursing home service or a jail ministry or, or in a city mission where you'll pour yourself into the work of God, God will reward you. And I don't know, I don't know, but I, I was just thinking the other day, if, if somebody, if one of those little boys or girls would walk up to me in heaven and say, do you remember me? You told me how to get saved down in the slums of Cincinnati, Ohio. You put me in your car and took me to church. That will be one of the greatest rewards I could ever have when I get to heaven. Hallelujah. But you take people that are willing to work when there's a paycheck involved or willing to work when their own interests are involved, but they're not willing to pour themselves into the work of God. Lastly, lukewarmness is having a form of godliness without the fiery power. I did a whole series of, of uh, messages, several months of messages in my local church on the subject of worship. It was a it was a great help to me. But I found out that though we don't have the formal plan of worship like, like my grandparents did in that formal Presbyterian church, we have a form of worship. 
We have form. We have organization. Sometimes I'll sit on the platform and, and, and say to myself, Lord, I'm so tired of three songs and prayer and a special song and a message. Can't you do something out of the ordinary? I can still see R.G. Flexen standing beside this pulpit, putting his hand up to his ear and praying and saying, oh God, we're so tired of the ordinary. Give us something out of the ordinary. Oh God, we're so tired of the natural. Give us something supernatural. And some of the greatest moves of God's spirit I've ever seen in my life, I saw sitting right where you sit. And all across this country, in Holiness Church after Holiness Church, we pride ourselves in being informal in our worship, but we're still, we still have a form. And maybe in many places, that's all we have. Aren't you hungry to see God come in his power and in his glory once again? And if you have all the form of going through the motions of being a Christian, but yet you don't have the fire of God's spirit burning down in your heart, that's lukewarmness. But could I tell you young people this morning and give you good news at the close of this message that we can have up-to-date victory in our heart. There's no question in my mind that you and I can enjoy something we know and something that's real and something just as fresh as the last breath we breathe. We can have the joy bells ringing in our heart to where when we hear songs like Matt and the young lady saying, he came to me, there's something that leaps inside of our heart that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to me. We can have a burden for our church and a burden for the lost and love each other in spite of imperfections. We can carry the load of God's kingdom and get involved and actually sweat and toil under the load of serving the Lord and reaching the lost. We can have the fire of God on our altar to where God meets with us and we meet with him. We don't have to be lukewarm. I was dating my wife before she was my wife, obviously. You kids don't know how good you have it. Now, would you forgive me for this nostalgia? But things were a little different 20, 21 years ago than they are now. We got a lot of social privileges. Oh, yes, we did. We uh, got three hours a week to date by ourselves. Three hours. Man, tell you what. That was great. We got to go to church on Sunday morning and sit together in the same church. Great. We got to go down and visit the uh, dining hall and eat macaroni for an hour a week. Yeah. But all the other hours in the day, we couldn't say one word to each other. Except maybe, howdy. Well, that isn't all we got. We got to exchange one letter a day. And we got to spend 10 minutes, not 11, 10 minutes on the phone a day. Listen to this quietness. This is great. <laughs> they are in stunned silence. Aren't you glad we're in 1995? Amen. All the girls said, amen. 
But I remember one time, I really wanted to tell my newfound girlfriend that ended up to be my wife that I was really, she was special to me, that she just wasn't any ordinary girlfriend, that things were getting a little more serious. And so I went over to a florist on Clifton and went in and said, I'd like to purchase one rose. I thought they'd give me a little rose, you know, and wrap it up, put it behind my back and sneak it over to the girls' dorm. I certainly didn't want any of my friends of the male gender to see me doing this. I just wanted to walk on campus with little rose under my coat pocket, take it up, leave it at the phone desk and tell, say, would you have Jane come down? I got something for her and that would be it. I didn't realize when you order a rose, you just don't get a rose. For they gave me a great big vase about that high. They put baby's breath and spinach or whatever that green stuff is <laughs> all around that rose. They wrapped it in paper and put a card on it. And now what I thought I could put under my jacket was this big. I thought, how in the world am I going to get it from the parking lot all the way up the ramp over without any of my friends seeing me? But I did it anyway. But I thought about that as Valentine's Day comes around. Now I have three girls to buy for, two daughters and my wife. But when Valentine's Day comes around, fellas, I have to do something, and you'll understand this one of these days, that, that men should never have to do, but they have to do. And that is I have to go into the women's section of the department store. Now, fellas, I've never, I've done this, I've been married 21 years, I've never, never felt comfortable in the ladies' section of a department store from that day till this. So I usually back in, you know, I just sort of back in here, you know. I sort of wait till all the other ladies are gone. I sort of ease over to the rack I'm wanting to look at, you know, and... and Here's what always happens. There's another lady comes, and she's going around the other way in this rack. And I'm going, no, 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 no. And she, about the time she gets to me, she looks at me like, what in this world are you doing here? I was in the ladies' section just this last Valentine's Day, and a preacher friend of mine snuck up behind me and said, you're weird. What are you doing in here? I said, listen, pre I said, listen, brother, I just gotta do it. It's just gotta do it, that's all. <laughs> the other thing that happens is you're looking at the rack, and here comes the sales lady. And she says, May I help you? And you no, no, that's the last thing I need. I went up to the ladies' section of the department store. I, I picked up what I wanted. I took it in this, those of you from Pennsylvania and Boscoff's, a nice department store, and I wadded it up like this. And I walked up to the counter, and what's the first thing those ladies do? I said, man, a little old lady about 80 years old walked up to me and says, I think that's precious. Most men just get their, their wives candy for Valentine's Day. You're sweet. I thought, lady, don't worry about how sweet I am. Just leave me alone. <laughs> they give me free gift wrapping on Valentine's Day, so I took my purchase up to, the, up to the counter, and I had two things for her to wrap, and the lady looked at me and said, are they both to the same person? I said, how many wives do you think I have, ma'am? 
I, don't, just forget the editorial comments, just wrap the presents. That's what you're getting paid minimum wage to do is just wrap presents. Do it. And so I got my boxes. I waited till my wife went to bed. I got my boxes. I got the card. I got my flower. I had my other presents for my other daughters for Valentine's Day. So when they woke up, first thing they'd see was that. But you know, as I was in the ladies' section and at the florist, and all, I went in the florist one time and they had a special, Valentine's Day special. The, the man says, how many arrangements would you like? I said, just one. I only have one wife. People are stupid. You know that? But it dawned on me, I'm getting just as much fun out of this. Buying a rose, buying a card, shopping for my wife, as I did at God's Bible School 21 years ago and 23 years ago when I went to a little flower shop in Clifton and bought her a rose. In fact, I'm having more fun. I said all that to say this. I'm so thankful when Jesus saved me. I'm so thankful for the night he sanctified me holy. I'm so thankful for every blessing that I received and help I received at this altar right here. But I want to tell you what I can testify to you, not because of anything I've done, but I am more thrilled with Jesus Christ this morning than I was when I first met him. And we don't have to be lukewarm and we don't have to cool off and we don't have to let down and we don't have to miss what God wants us to do. But listen to me, young people, this relationship with Jesus Christ can grow and grow and grow and grow until I could never believe how precious he could be than he is this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't want to see us lose. I want to see us have all that God wants us to be. And if you come into this revival meeting rather cold in your heart, let me tell you, get to where God can meet your heart in the prayer meeting tonight before we come to service. Why not let's just get a hold of God and let God rain a new touch of fire on our hearts. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me for prayer this morning? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Has been passed. I don't wanna